back with the Santa Cruz Baptist Church podcast. I am Drew Cunningham. And I'm Tyler Hurst. We are glad you guys are here today. Um, Today we are going to be walking through the entire Bible. (laughs) Um, Typically on a Sunday we have a specific text in mind and we preach expositional sermons. Um, But this week we did something a little bit different. Um, Tyler preached through the entire Bible. Um, Normally we would say starting with Genesis and moving to Revelation, but he he did the opposite. He started with Revelation, uh, showed us the ending of the book, and then started back at the beginning and showed us uh, kind of a biblical theology of the incarnation and God being with us. And so, Tyler, what... What did you hope people walked away with this week after your sermon? Yeah, primarily there's two things that I was really hoping people would grab onto. Uh, The first is that one of the ways to understand the entire point of Scripture is that ultimately God is trying to be present with us. Uh, And that's not just like aware of us. It's not just acknowledging us. It's like he wants to dwell with us, as the word Scripture uses. He wants to live with us and be in relationship with us. And that was... Uh, that's how the Bible comes to a conclusion in Revelation 21, but it's also how the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, uh, and Genesis 3 very brutally draws out how that fractures. And so the second thing I wanted people to take away with is on this side, chronologically speaking of Genesis 3, that uh, relationship of God being present with us now only comes through because he's the one pursuing us, mm-hmm. that, that we're constantly moving away from him and he's kind of constantly reaching over, grabbing us by the back of our shirt and kind of drawing us back to him in these things called covenants. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned Revelation 21. Um, you you highlighted that Revelation 21.3 is kind of the, the top of the peak. Mm-hmm. It is the end point, the purpose for which uh, the Bible is aiming. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Um, If we're starting with the end in mind, knowing that that is where this thing is headed, um, it it really is amazing to to read the Bible in light of that and Mm -hmm. to see all that God will have to overcome to get to that point. And I thought that was a really strong point that, you know, your points uh, were essentially that, that God in the garden makes covenant with man, Mm -hmm. um, that he is with them there in the garden. Uh, But that we move East, you mentioned that we are constantly moving away from God. Um, East not being a, a geographical thing, but a relational thing that to move East in scripture is to move away from God. And so, That's the story of the Old Testament. Over and over and over and over again, uh, we as humanity are moving away from God. And so I think that's what makes the end point so surprising Mm -hmm. and shocking almost, is that um, somehow God uh, ends up with us, um, dwelling with us, amidst us running away from Him. And you can almost see throughout the Old Testament... Um, and I, I don't want to do like a disservice to say that this is the main point of the Old Testament or this is um, the only thing God's trying to do, but you can almost see throughout the flow of the Old Testament narrative how God picks different things that we actually today would generally think of as the things that'll give us or bring us into God's presence by our work. And so it's kind of like, 
well, he gives the law. And it's like, well, we don't keep the law. Well, he puts us in like a place where he's going to bless us. Well, we, you know, mess that up too. Well, he gives us a king that's supposed to represent him, to rule over us, tell us what to do and be an example. Well, that king's, you know, a sinner just like us and he messes up. And so you get all of these things that it's almost like God is trying to say, hey, if it's up to you, here are the different things you would pick to try and bring yourself back into my presence. Exactly. And it just builds and builds and builds until you get to the prophets where they just finally say, look, this isn't working. God himself is going to have to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of got to um, Micah 3.1, which um, I didn't make this connection in the sermon, but we've prior to this, we're preaching through the gospel of Mark and that Micah 3.1 is how... Mark introduces the coming of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a good segue into kind of our second question. Uh, what, what are some things that I, I know that you could, mm-hmm. could say, I left out hours and hours of information because yeah. you were <laughs> preaching literally through the whole Bible, mm-hmm. but what, what are a handful of things that you had to leave on the cutting room floor this week that got left out of the sermon? Yeah, I mean, you're right. One way to answer the question, what did you leave out, is uh, the answer is, um, Joshua through a basically Habakkuk uh, ended up on the cutting room floor. I tried to set kind of a trajectory um, and let the momentum carry us into the New Testament, so to speak. Um, but I guess I would say primary things that I left out, um, election itself, uh, specifically for individuals, uh, gets kind of glossed over mm-hmm. in it. So I tried to make that clear in that, that this is God's activity to bring us back. Um, but something like, for example, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, two texts that get left on the cutting room floors, I'm trying to, you know, fit this into 45 minutes, uh, as well, um, the Matthew's genealogy was something I was trying to work in, trying to fit in there, uh, just couldn't make it fit, um, just in terms of showing us where Jesus comes from, that he comes from this line of people who God has been pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. Uh, and even in that genealogy, you get a picture of how God is including the Gentiles with uh, specifically these Gentile women mm-hmm. uh, who play a big role in the genealogy. Um, I just barely touched on the second part of um, Matthew 1, which is, you know, the birth narrative of Christ, read it, but didn't go very in-depth on it. Um, tons of stuff in the prophets that I left out, so we could go almost <laughs> any of those directions. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I would like to zero in on the, the first one, uh, election, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, if what we were saying earlier is true, if mm-hmm. the overall narrative of Scripture is that God made covenant with man, that man continually mm-hmm. is running away from him, um, election follows from that. The yeah. only way that, that we can be saved is if God pursues us while we're still running from him. Mm-hmm. And that's what we read, you know, the text out of Romans 5 for our uh, um, assurance of pardon is that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so election uh, really is the logical outflow of understanding that while we were moving east, mm-hmm. something or someone um, pursued us right. um, with his electing love. And I just thought of, of you know, Saul's conversion mm-hmm. in Acts 9. Uh, another great example of what you preached from, from your sermon this weekend, but also election, mm-hmm. that he, you know, Acts 9 verse 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, mm-hmm. meaning Christians, 
men or women, uh, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's he's literally, he's doing everything you described. He's yeah. moving east. He's moving away from God to the extent that he's mm-hmm. murdering Christians. Yeah, he's not a seeker. <laughs> he's not a seeker. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, God pursues him right. on the road to Damascus. You know? One of the interesting things, too, is he's doing it under the guise of religion, right? So he's not just... Um, I mean, you could almost contrast Saul on the road to Damascus with the pagan magi from the east who show up at Jesus' birth. You have these people providentially, interesting, was it last night or tonight is the uh, Jerusalem star supposed to be in the sky? Yeah, last night. Um, So it says these these magi astrologers, pagans who, you know, look up and try and understand the future by what's taking place in the sky, by God's providence, see something... I don't know what all they get right and what all they get wrong, but God, through his sign to them, has somehow placed something in their religion that draws them to Bethlehem to be the first worshipers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward to after Jesus' death, and you have Saul has to be grabbed providentially as well, just like the Magi were, but rather than a pagan having, you know, engaging in some kind of false worship, he's doing this under the guise of true religion. Yeah, and I I think the point being, whether it's the Magi or whether it's Paul, Mm -hmm. um, they are are mere kind of placeholders Mm -hmm. for all of us. Right. Um, All of us in humanity would be continually running east if it weren't for God Mm -hmm. grabbing us and saving us. Yeah. Uh, We don't make the first move towards God. He makes the first move towards us. Right. And and I think that is just beautifully portrayed um, in your sermon that... God had relationship with us in the garden. We continually moved east, mm-hmm. but he pursued us and saved us uh, out of, of death and into life. Mm-hmm. And that is the only reason why Revelation 21.3 can say that, that that's where this story ends, is that God is with us. Um, only by God's grace is that possible. Well, and as well, you get the idea, because um, one of the things that I was just fascinated by as I was preparing this is... God's ultimate plan for saving us has to be something that is um, sort of the finishing touch because God throughout the Old Testament is setting these people up. He gives them their law, his law. He gives them, you know, the temple. He gives them all of these things and creates covenant with them, but they're constantly wandering away. So they're mm-hmm. faithful for a period of time and then wander, faithful for a period of time and wander. And we experience that in our Christian lives. But ultimately, when you get to Revelation 21.3, it's sealed. It's done. There is no more wandering. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the blessings of heaven is not just that God's there. That is the ultimate blessing of heaven, but that our hearts are finally set right on their course such that, even, like, if sin was available, we're not going to choose it because mm-hmm. our hearts are finally directed to God as they were always intended to be. So the, the solution to the problem that gets us to Revelation 21.3 has to be something that marks us with a seal. And this is one of the reasons why I said Ephesians 1 sort of falls out. It's kind of trying to figure out how to fit in uh, specifically this idea. that Ephesians 1, I don't understand why, but two words from the first part of uh, this sentence fall into verse 4, and then the rest of the sentence falls into verse 5. Um, but in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
Uh, In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ. And he goes on to tell us that this is a plan given the fullness of time. And that, in verse 13, in him, speaking of Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So this has to be a Trinitarian work of election, and it's got to have that seal upon it where, you know, even in this life, if we continue to wander, he's going to bring us back, and we're going to eventually hit some point where there's no more wandering. Mm-hmm. Like the hymn, the, um, hymn that sings... Uh, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Like that feeling that we feel in this life goes away at some point. It's done because of the seal of the Holy Spirit that puts this thing finally to rest. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, what are some, you know, what you did on Sunday was, we talk about this a lot, but <laughs> biblical theology, um, understanding that the, the text of Scripture is one book. It's not 66 books. It's mm-hmm. all tied together. Um, so what are, what are some recommendations, resource recommendations that you would make on what you did on Sunday specifically um, mm-hmm. or just biblical theology in general? Yeah, we, uh, we referenced that biblical theology, the purple book from the Nine Marks series, a ton. Um, for this sermon in particular, if you guys have picked up that book, um, looked at it, or if you know kind of like the basic content of biblical theology, one of the books I looked at was a book titled uh, Divine Blessing and the Fullness of Life in the Presence of God, and that's by William Osborne. Uh, and it's in a series, um, Short Studies in Biblical Theology, that Crossway's putting out. Uh, and essentially, one of the things I did with that book is that book's more about what is a proper understanding of blessing. We live in a time where uh, people misunderstand that phrase all the time. Um, They think of it as a material thing. And he argues, well, blessing is ultimately being in God's presence Mm -hmm. and being with God. And so what I did is I kind of took what his work in that book and took the sub-theme, life in the presence of God, and made that the primary theme and looked at Scripture through that lens. Mm -hmm. So Divine Blessing and the Fullness of Life in the Presence of God is a great book. Um, if you're looking for something interesting to read come the new year on just how our culture views blessing, uh, Kate Bowler is a religious sociologist who's a Christian, and she wrote a big book titled Blessed, and it's kind of like an expose of uh, the prosperity gospel and how so many people in our world understand what it means to be blessed, and I think just putting that book right up against scripture and comparing like, hey, what are people saying it means to be blessed versus what does God say it means to be blessed? Mm -hmm. Be a fantastic study for next year. Yeah, I I have not read that one, but I have friends who have read it, said Mm -hmm. it's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, fantastic. One resource that I would recommend, I I believe we've recommended this before, but Von Roberts' uh, book called God's Big Picture, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really helpful, brief book on biblical theology and kind of what the storyline of Scripture is. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Those are a handful of, of resources that we would recommend, and um, we've got, got alarms going off, but we're I'm okay. supposed to pick my son up if he's, <laughs> if he's in school, but he's on Christmas break. Awesome. Well, with that, um, do you have anything else that you'd like to add today? Uh, no, just Merry Christmas. I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Hope you guys have a Happy New Year, and uh, we will see you again soon. Have a great rest of the week. Bye.